Thanks for tuning in to this message from Greenhouse Church. We're continuing our series called Breaking Bread. Listen now as Pastor Mike teaches on relationships. I remember I was talking to a woman when I was a youth pastor. This woman was living in a state of condemnation over one Bible verse in particular that's found in the book of Proverbs that says, raise up a child in the way they should go and even when they're old, they won't depart from it. Who's ever heard that verse? Any of you that are parents, there's probably never been a verse that's been more condemning than that verse. Raise up a child in the way they should go and even when they're old, they won't depart because the idea is, what have I done? Which is what this woman asked me, a youth pastor who was in his 20s, I think she asked me because she didn't want to talk to someone that knew anything. She wanted to talk to someone that she wouldn't feel ashamed. She felt very inadequate in her parenting. Because when your child goes astray, she asked, what does that say about me? It's very hard to not wrap up your self-worth in the performance of your children. Or maybe if you're an employer in the performance of your employees, or if you're a coach in the performance of your players. Raise up a child in the way they should go. And she asked me, how do I raise my kids without ruining their lives? And that's what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to read to you from one verse, and we'll cover more, but one verse, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. It's an interesting verse because I'm a father of eight, and I... Study. <laughs> Someone said, wow. <laughs> Supposedly, they're all mine. That's what I'm told. <laughs> we have not DNA tested them, but we... <laughs> I got to get right on track fast here. <laughs> Are they, they're mine, right? Ruthie, they're mine. I don't even remember what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> I have no idea. If you're joining us online, well, bienvenido. There's so many books on parenting, and I would think that the New Testament would have far more content than what it has. In fact, you can really sum it up in this verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The message translation of this says, fathers, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. The Passion Translation says, Don't exasperate your children, but raise them up in loving discipline and counsel that brings the revelation of our Lord. I really think there'd be far more in the scriptures, because God knows, go do a Google search, everyone and their brother has a take on parenting. It's interesting that the New Testament has so seemingly little to say. By the way, there's a parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3 that says, Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. But almost the same thing. Why doesn't it say more? And, and I, I just want to cover this today. How do I raise my kids without ruining their lives? If you're a parent, this is for you. But maybe you're not a parent. It's also for you because you're going to lead someone, if not yourself, for disciple makers and coaches and employers and bosses and managers and leaders. How do we lead people in ways that blesses them, doesn't curse them? Let's pray. God help. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We parent best when we parent like God. We lead people best when we lead people like God leads. How should I discipline my kids? A good question is, how does God discipline his? How should I express expectations? 
in the same way that God expresses his. We parent best when we parent like God. We lead people best when we lead people like God. Well, what does that look like? And I think these verses are fascinating because they don't say very much, and yet the things that they say have such seedlings of truth that I don't want you to miss what they do. How does God parent his children? First thought I want to bring to you today is that God is not harsh with his children. So number one, parents, don't be harsh. Supervisors, don't be harsh. Managers, don't be harsh. Coaches, don't be harsh. Leaders, don't be harsh. Specifically, it says your fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Now, let me, I, I know I'm saying that right now. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to do a little experiment. I'm going to watch how you respond. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. I noticed nobody sighed, nobody gasped, nobody looked surprised, nobody said what, nobody freaked out. The reason is because you're in the 21st century, yet if you would have heard me say this in the first century, which is the century that this was written in, I'll tell you what you would have said. You would have said, the need is not for fathers to not provoke their children to wrath. It should be saying, children, don't provoke your fathers to wrath. Because in the first century, let me just break down the scenario. Let me give you the historical context. Let me tell you how someone that was reading these words from the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago would have heard them. It was a world in which children were not ascribed much glory. To children was not ascribed a lot of worth. When a child was born, they would take the child, perhaps lay it at the father's feet. A father would walk up to a born child, and if he liked what he saw, as in he saw the gender that he wanted, or the face that he wanted, or the physical composition that he wanted, the father might stoop down, pick up the child, and that meant they were going to keep this child. If the father turned his back, true story, father turned his back and walked away, they were now permitted to postnatally abort the child. You could get rid of the child, dispose of the child, go drop the child off at the local garbage heap where there might be uh, burning. The fire would literally never go off and they would just leave the child to go and to burn and to die. If a child was born with deformities all throughout the ancient world, if you saw a child and you did not like, the idea was, and by the way, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just going to try to say this is not a new argument that's happened. Why should we bring an unwanted child into the world? It's just going to mess up the economy. It's just going to make things hard. It's going to make things rough. So you would take a child that was unwanted, and when you did, when it was going to, if it had problems, if it was clearly going to have issues physically or emotionally or whatever, you would take it and say, well, this is going to be too much for everybody. So go ahead, either kill the child or leave the child out there. And many of you have heard that early Christians were very different from the rest of the the world that they were in because in a world where people would lay their children to die in garbage heaps, Christians would actually go and take babies off garbage heaps and adopt them as their own. By the way, they weren't the only ones that would do that. There were also slave masters that would also go out, especially girls, because many people wanted boys, not girls. And so slave masters would go and take little girls off garbage heaps and they would raise them to become prostitutes. Now, what I'm trying to give you is the picture that in the early world, there was even these, like, like in, in, in Latin, they would call it like the, like the patria, uh, this idea of patria potestas, this idea of the absolute power, potestad, of, of a father, that a father had absolute power over his family. He could do anything he wanted with anyone in his household. If a child was being rebellious, he could put his child in chains 
And he could force them to do things out in there. And the idea of this was his property. Don't tell me what to do with my property. You can't tell me. That child is my property. I can do whatever I want. He could beat his child. He could, he could put chains on his, his child. He could sell, disown and sell his child as a slave. Just so we're clear, that's happening in the world we live in right now. So I get it. Like a lot of us, we're, we're so stuck in, in a myopic view of the culture that we're in. Again, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just trying to say, I need you to understand that the dignity of humans whether they are humans that are in grocery stores in Buffalo, New York, or whether they are humans that are in, in India, or whether they are humans in, in parts of Congo where little children get sold into, and become child soldiers, the dignity of humans has always been under assault, especially the more vulnerable, which is why the people of God have to be the people that stand up and say, we defend the rights of those who cannot defend themselves. We have to. That when there are people that go and do things just because they, they dehumanize, try to take away the dignity of, of others because of the color of their skin or the culture that they come from or the, the caste that they were born into, that, that someone goes and says someone's worth is not given to them because of the social status of their parents. Their worth was ascribed because of the nature that they were created in, and that nature was God himself. I do not know what inspired God when he made the, 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 the supernovas. I don't know what inspired God when he made the platypus. I don't know what inspired God when he made the, 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 the plethora of colors and smells and sounds and tastes of, of creation. I know this. When you were in your mother's womb, it was the image of the glorious God himself that inspired God when you were created. And every child needs to know that. Every person needs to. In the first century, children were very aware of their low status. Of their low status. And you could do whatever you want. And no one would legally be able to defend that. So flip forward 2,000 years in the 21st century. What's the status of children now? I, I would argue to you that perhaps children are not seen as these low-level pieces of, of property like they were 2,000 years ago. And someone might say, well, look at kids now. We Parents revolve their lives around their travel baseball schedules and travel basketball schedules and their what, uh, parents will do anything. They, yeah, they do at some level, but the evidence is that children right now are having anxiety levels like they never had before because of the pressures that children feel exerted from their parents that, that or not even just their parents, culture itself. They say one of the worst things that it's happening to 14 and 15 year old girls. It's social media when girls are scrolling through things and they say, man, your hair's not good enough. Your eyes aren't good enough. Here's a filter that would show you if you had, you know, if, if you had the right eyes, if you had the right face, do you realize your face is imbalanced? All of our faces, go look at your nostrils. They're all up jacked up. All of us are. And little kids are hearing this stuff. Why can't you be more like her? Why can't you? And, and, peep, and girls are literally scrolling themselves into depression. People are social media themselves into these comparisons and, and contrasts and hyper aware of what... All I'm trying to tell you is this world has always been harsh on children whose brains have... They're, they're not even finished gelling until they're in their early 20s. That's when they finally start to... Like children weren't meant to everywhere they go be under such bondage and assault to the things and the, the, the world around them. God's plan was always that parents would be their children's safe place. That's his goal. 
God's dream was always that the church would be the, the house of God on earth where maybe you got beat up all week long, but man, when you go home, that's your safe place. Church, that's what we, we can't be kicking each other while we're down. I mean, there's some of you that have walked in today and life's just been hard this week or this month or this decade. And there's got to be a safe place where we go and we feel in Father's house. It's not like the fathers of this earth. In Father's house, there's peace. And in Father's house, there's joy. And in Father's house, Father God's house, there's a protection. This is why David would say, you, oh God, you are my refuge, you are my shield, you are my fortress. In other words, all week long, I'm getting assaulted everywhere else. But in the house of God, there's a shield. Any of you that are just tired and exhausted right now, I just want to proclaim the peace of God upon your soul in Jesus' name. That's what kids need. This is why the first thing he says, fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't frustrate your children. Don't exasperate your children. So I've got eight. I have eight children. I don't have a million, but I got eight. I've learned a few things. I'm not done learning. I've been pressuring my wife for one more. She's been resisting. She says we're done. I say, could we have one more, you know? And she's just quenching that desire, you know? And I, and I haven't always been good. At, she helps me. Like, I remember we, our youngest daughter, she has a gift of irritating people. It's like a talent. It's like a talent. Like, I don't know if any of you have any children or you know someone Maybe you're sitting next to someone that has the talent of, I don't know how little children can learn how to be so emotionally intelligent <laughs> that they know how to push people's buttons that are like 10 years older than them. Like, I don't know how that happens. Like, how can little humans, little homo sapiens, how do they... Do, and they irritate, and they exasperate, and they provoke to wrath. And you're like, how do you know? And, they, and, I, and I've watched this sometimes where she's, and I've just decided, you know what? So there's been moments I entered in, and I decided to model for her. To, I wanted to mirror what she did. And I'm like, I know how to push your buttons. So I would. I'd push a button, push a button, push a button. And there's been some times when she just loses it. Like she loses her marbles when I push her buttons. Her siblings are loving it. They're like smiling at me. They're like, daddy, yes, you know? And I'm feeling like the cool dad, like, yes, watch this, right? To which my wife's like, Michael, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you're irritating your daughter. And I'm like, she started it. I'm not sure why my wife didn't respond the way you guys just responded when I say that. She's like, you're a grown man. I'm like, she did it first. Wait, she's like, you're a grown humanoid and she's a child whose brain is still forming and the, your parenting plan is to irritate her, to frustrate her, to exasperate her, to provoke her to wrath? Is anybody glad that Father God does not do that to us? This is the whole sermon, guys. We parent best when we parent like God. We lead best when we lead like God. 
Yes, little children can be irritating, and I might think that the way God is going to transform their hearts is by the irritation and frustration, exasperation of her father. I have tended to find that that tactic works not at all. Number one, don't be harsh. See, parents, you've got, in Colossians 3.21, it says, Fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. He's giving us a principle that children are able to dish things out that they cannot take themselves. By the way, don't raise your hand. How many of you know somebody in this room that can dish things out that they cannot take themselves? Has anyone else figured out you're very able to sin against other people and you want them to give you the benefit of the doubt, to realize, oh, don't you get it? I had a rough week. Oh, don't you get it? I've had a rough life. Oh, don't you get it? This is what my mom did to me. But when people do it to me, see, I want you to judge me on my intentions, but I'm going to judge you on your actions. What I'm trying to tell you is what he says in Colossians, parents, and in Colossians 3, fathers, do not provoke your children because they're going to get discouraged. In the message, it says, parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. The Passion Translation says, don't have unrealistic expectations for your children or else they're going to become discouraged. So, so here's the question. What is it that disheartens your child? If you're a boss, what disheartens your employees? If you're a coach, what disheartens your and, here's, and this is the biggest application of this message. Parents, study your children. Because the thing that exasperates one child doesn't exasperate another. Some kids can hear, son, come on, son. go. For Some kids get crushed when you say, come on, son. Come on, honey. Some employees, they, they, they crumble when you do to them the same thing that you do to someone else. There are some players that can handle pushing. There are some players that can handle challenging that other players cannot, which is why parents need to study their children. Bosses need to study their employees. Coaches need to study their players. Leaders need to study the people that they're leading because every strength finder's test, every Enneagram insight, every psychological evaluation of someone's going to tell you people are moved by, don't be harsh to one person doesn't mean harsh. Number one, it's just fascinating that point number one in parenting is don't be harsh. Now, and again, in the first century, they would have said, hey, kids, don't provoke your, your dads. What he's saying is no dads, don't provoke your kids. Employers, don't provoke your employees. Number two, take them by the hand. I love this verse in the message. Don't frustrate your children with no one scenarios. Take them by the hand and lead them. In the New King James, it says, don't provoke them, but bring them up in the training. Don't, don't ex Passion translation, don't exasperate them, but raise them up with loving discipline. Now, let me make this clear. Children do need discipline. Employees do need feedback loops. Athletes do need feedback and direction from their coaches. Anyone that's being managed, those being managed, they do need to get direction, redirection, feedback. That won't work. They need evaluations. They absolutely need that, okay? Children do need correction. They do need discipline. But they, they need you to, I like this, take them by the hand. 
Proverbs 13, 24 says that the father, the, the parents that spare the rod, they hate their children. The father who, could you put those verses up there for me? The Proverbs, the, the father, wh- whoever spares the rod, this is the rod of discipline, hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Every juvenile detention center in America is probably populated, at least in some part, with children whose parents thought they loved them too much to correct them. Children, they don't need harsh. They don't need provoking. They don't need irritation. They do need discipline. Proverbs 22, 15 is one of the most insightful verses in all of Scripture to me. It says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Oh, this is all of us. Like all of us fall into foolishness and folly that, that discipline. And again, I, I want to get super clear. Every child, study your child. I, I don't think every child needs it, even the rod of discipline. It, it might be uh, verbal. It might be physical. It might be time out. There's all sorts of disciplines, withholding or, or giving of certain disciplines. That's, between, that's for you to figure out what your child is like. Every child is not moved by the same discipline. With eight kids, let me tell you, I... Guarantee you, every child needs a very different kind of discipline. And if you think one size fits all, you're going to miss it. Jesus himself didn't do one size fits all. He was always giving a different word and a different reaction. to. He, he tells Peter, get behind me, Satan, in front of other people. There's other people. He corrects them in private and brings them aside. Some of your children have thinner skin. Some have thicker skin. Some of your employees, some of your athletes, depending on the per- Study your child. Study your follower. Study your employee. Study that person. Take them by the hand. Hebrews 12.11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning always feels like a bummer. But later, when you win a national championship, a coach is able to celebrate and say, look what we've done. All discipline. For the moment. For the moment. Everyone say, for the moment. moment. Please don't think when your child's like, "I, I don't like this. I don't, I don't feel God's love right now. I don't feel your love right now. So for the moment, when you're being disciplined, rarely in the moment do you say, you know what I feel? I feel the juicy love of Father God right now. <laughs> when you're being disciplined, it always... Let me speak in King James so I don't offend anybody. When you're being disciplined, it always stinketh. <laughs> for the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So take them by the... Number one, don't be harsh. Number two, take them by the hand. So I... Anyone who plays pickleball? Anyone play pickleball here? All right, I've been playing pickleball with Pastor Mike, Mike Lane. By the way, next week, Mike Lane, we are going to be commissioning, laying hands on, celebrating Mike Lane. We're going to be taking up a special offering for him and Danny because he's going to be leading our campus, our site in, in Tampa. He's going to be leading Greenhouse Tampa. Next week, we're just commissioning all of that, so get ready. So Mike's gotten a lot of us into pickleball. Mike is probably the best pickleball player for like 100 miles, you know, something like that. He's a really good pickleball player. So I'm not, I'm not as good, but I, we've gotten into it. Last week we're playing. So I'm there, Mike's there, uh, some other people. I'm not sure if Molly's in here, but one, young, one of the young ladies was there, and we're playing some pickleball. And so I was with Molly, and we played a game, and we, we lost. You played to 11. We lost like 11, I want to say to four. I forget what the score was. We lost 11 to two. It might have been 11 to two. Thank you. God bless you, all right? So we lost like 11 to two. 
So we're getting ready to go to the other court, and we're like on the loser court, all right? So we leave. We go to the shame court, all right? So the, the winners stayed on. The losers left. So me and Molly go to the other court. I think you came on and played after that. Mike comes on and plays. And so as we're going, I'm like, hey, let's just practice a little bit. And, and she's like, okay. And so we start talking. She's like, you know, uh, this is why I really don't consider you a good player. Which I was like, wait, excuse me? She's like, I don't consider you a good player. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, like you get up there and you're trying. Now, pickleball is like tennis, but it's smaller. It's a smaller court, okay? I'm trying to slam the ball past people. She's like, you're not going to like power the ball past people. And here you are. If you've ever seen the game pickleball, you go up to the net. She said, you're going like, you can't like, you know, kind of take the ball up like this. You can't just like pop it up. You need to either hit it to the left or you need to hit it to the right. You can't just pop it up because they're going to slam you every time. That's what you're doing. You're sitting here, pop. That, that, Mike, that doesn't work. He's like, you, you, listen, you got a good shot. That, you, you don't know how to play the game. This is why when I go play with like the good players, you're not, in my mind, one of the good players. <laughs> Which I'm like, I mean, I don't think I'm like NFL, MLB, whatever, whatever, this kind. I've never thought of myself as not, good at a sport. <laughs> and she's like, you're just not good. Now, here's the catch. She wasn't mean, and she really wasn't harsh. She was just very matter-of-fact. She's like, if you want to get good, like, you actually have to play the game the way the game's meant to be played. And she's given me some other, she gave me, like, two or three points of instruction. I got to tell you, I'm sitting there listening because we're about to play the winner of this game. And I'm sitting there on the loser court while the winners are playing, and she's giving me instruction, and I'm listening to everything. She, she takes me by the hand, and I'm listening to everything she says, like a man that's getting in an airplane, flying up to go jump out and do skydiving. And they say, now pay attention. You've got seven steps, because in just a few moments, you either do what we say or you die, right? So you're listening. <laughs> you're listening when they say that. I'm like, I'm no good. I'm, I mean, I'm sitting there, and we kept, we, so we finish our little loser practice, the team loses. We come back over. I think you were on the winning. Didn't you take over as the winning? What happened next? We got crushed. Who got crushed? We did. They did. <laughs> <laughs> and after they went to the loser court, the team that originally beat us came back to challenge us again, and I think we beat them like 11 to 3. Now, this is an extreme example, okay? This is an extreme example. Not everyone has incredible natural abilities like I do. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm totally playing. Not everyone <laughs> is, I, sh I really hope Molly watches this or watches it right now. Not everyone's got the teaching abilities that Molly had. No, but this is really what happened. She literally took me by the hand. She was candid. She was truthful. I needed training. I wonder how many children... They don't just need someone saying you're no good. They need the training. They need to be, like it says here, take them by the hand. Bring them up with loving discipline. This is how discipline is to happen. Now, by the way, there was a joy in this because even when she was giving this, she was, she was coming with, there was a joy that was there in this book that I love, which I would love for everyone to read called Transforming Fellowship. It involves, it mentions 19 brain skills everybody needs to thrive in life. There's a list, I think, out there at the lobby if you want the list of all 19 of those brain skills. But one of those skills, two or, two or three of them really involve having an attitude of joy and appreciation. That when there is joy, we tend to be able to receive words of correction when there's joy. When there's not, it's awfully hard to listen to correction 
when there's not already an attitude of joy. Molly was bringing the joy. She was bringing, she brought the attitude of appreciation so that when there was correction, she wasn't being mean. She's like, hey, you don't do this very well. You don't need to lie to your kid and say, oh, you're good at everything. Your kid's not good at everything. Your athlete's not good at everything. They don't need to be. What they need you to be is honest. Take them by the hand. Don't be harsh and lead them where they need to go. Number one, don't be harsh. Number two, number two, take them by the hand. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do a little, little parenthetical thing because when you're disciplining your kids, like what fights are even worth picking? I'm just going to do this really quickly. I'm going to tell you nine fights I think are worth picking. This, I've had this in my journal for a while. This is where I want some of you that are parents to kind of see this. These are fights I think worth picking. Number one, it is worth the reading fight. Now, what I mean by this is even if your kid says, I don't feel like reading, make him read. It's just worth it. You're like, Mike, I don't believe it. Trust me, as a dad that's trying to get his kids to get Florida Bright Futures and get ACT scores and SAT scores so that, so that we don't have to take out seven mortgages for our kids to go to college. They need to get scholarships. The common denominator of kids that do well when they get ready to go to school, they might not be good at a lot of stuff. Kids need to read. Anyway, number two, this, it's worth the fight. It's worth the fight. Number two, the outside fight. Make your kids go outside. Just make them go outside. I don't want to. I want to stay inside and play Fortnite. Make them go outside. Go pretend you're playing Fortnite outside. I, I don't want to. I want to scroll through my phone. Go outside and scroll through God's social media and let the birds chirp at you. That's like a tweet. Keep going. Make them go outside. Number three, the work fight. Number three, the work fight. You should not let children be getting the benefits of a family without taking some of the responsibilities of that family. Train kids to do chores. A kid might tell you, I don't feel led. You don't have to feel led. Just do it anyway. <laughs> the work fight. Next one, the meal fight. The meal fight. Make your kids eat meals with the family. Well, they don't want to. They want to eat in their room, scrolling through Twitter while they're playing Fortnite. Tell them they can't. They have to come. I know they're not doing Twitter, but you know what I'm saying. Make them come and eat the meal. I was reading a study that was talking about how many children fall away from God. And it's like like 80% will fall away when they graduate. They haven't enjoyed their experience with their parents and faith. 20% that stayed. They tried to figure out, were there any common denominators of children that stayed? And one of the things that they found was children that stayed in their faith and close to their kids, a common denominator was a large number of meals per week that children ate with their families. Well, they don't want to. Doesn't matter. Make them. It's kind of like a kid that says, I want to eat Lucky Charms every day. Sorry, you can't. Like that, this is a, a fight worth having. We're going to eat something. Not, it doesn't have to be every meal. Uh, there needs to be meals where you're breaking bread together. By the way, this applies to husbands and wives. This applies to, in a lot of different places. Next fight worth having, the boredom fight. Make your kids live with boredom. I'm bored. Hallelujah. <laughs> have, already be ready. When your kid says, I'm bored. I don't know why parents are like, oh, I must be a bad parent if I've not allowed a child to stay addicted to an entertainment world where they, even when they're in line at Subway and they have to wait 45 more seconds to put in their order, they're already scrolling for their phone. Like, make your kids put down their phones. By the way, you put down your phone sometimes. You're on a date with your wife, put the stinking phone down. Anyway, I just got to keep going, finish. The boredom fight. Let them be bored. It's worth that fight. If you can't learn to be bored, you're going to have problems later in life. The me first fight. This is worth the fight. Make your kids go last sometimes. Make your kids get the smallest pizza pizza sometimes. Sometimes. Because in the real world, you're not always first. 
What's going to happen is they're going to go live in a dorm. They're going to be in Murphy area, sled hall at UF, and you're going to have two kids that their entire life always got to go first because their parents were so afraid of letting them not go first or be bored. And you're going to have two kids that go at it because they never learned. Anyway, you get it. Boredom. Me first. The, next, the awkward conversation fight. This is worth it. Dad, I don't want to talk. About the, talk to your kids about sex. Talk to your kids about dating. Talk to your kids about racism. Talk to your kids about all the crazy stuff. Talk to your kids about Jesus and John Wayne. Talk to your kids about the Mars Hill podcast. Talk to your kids about all the crazy things going on. Talk to your kids because your kids, I know they'll roll their eyes. I know they're going to act like they don't want to talk. Trust me, your children want your perspective on things. Next, the limitation fight. Make your kids learn to live in limits. Kids, we're going to spend this much money on dinner. I want Sprite. And I want dessert. You can either have Sprite or dessert. I want both. No, you can have one or the other. And they start throwing a tantrum and they're going nuts. And you go ahead and you let them go nuts because there's something worse than the person in line at Publix or at Wendy's thinking you're not a good parent. That something is when your child grows up and they turn 50 years old and they're bored in their marriage and there's some 22-year-old secretary that's at the place and he says, I want secretary. And you lived a life where you never learned to say, you don't get both. And there's little pro Anyway, next one, last one. <laughs> this is all free. The last one is the Bible fight. <laughs> Fights worth picking. The Bible fight. You could say, well, wait, oh, I hear this one a lot. Should I make my kids have to do the Bible? And here's the answer. Yes. The only thing that's consistent from cover to cover in the Bible is this. Let me start Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And just leave that up for a minute. You shall love, leave that up. No, leave that up for a second. You shall love the Lord our God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them to your children and press them on their hearts. Talk about them when you come in and talk about them when you go out. Talk about them when they lie down. Talk about them when you rise up. Talk about them in a box. Talk about them with the fox. Talk about them in the air. Talk about them everywhere. Talk about them, Sam I am. Talk about these words wherever you go. Expose them to the word of God. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because on point number one, I can't not, I have been harsh as a dad. And I've been harsh as an employer. And I've been harsh as a leader. I have blown it. On point number two, train them up, take them by the hand, discipline them the right way. I have blown it on a lot of my, if my children's lives are going to be dependent on how perfectly I could, I could somehow not be harsh or train them, I'm going to blow it, which means I I need a secret. And let me tell you the secret. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I don't know how to tell you how many times I've heard the story of some mother that says, Pastor Mike, it was hard, and I was raising my kids, and I got so many things wrong, but I gave him the word, and I don't know how he does it, but God takes those little seeds of the word of God and puts them in a child, and I thought it was doing nothing. I thought it was going nowhere, and, I did, and my child told me when she was 21, I'm into crystals, and I'm into open marriage, and I'm into all these different things, and I, I was so scared, and I found my child was on her third child. And all of a sudden, all those seeds that were planted inside of her, because here's the thing about the seed of the word of God. It's just amazing. It's like a weed. You can't get rid of it. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You plant it and it looks small, but baby, you give it time because that's going to grow up and take over. 
My parenting is imperfect. His word is perfect. Which is why it is worth the Bible fight. To, like, I don't think it's doing anything. You don't think a seed's doing anything when you put it in the ground. We plant the seed with our kids to grow some pineapples, and they go out the next day. They say, Daddy, where's the pineapple? Say, give it a minute. They say, where's the next day? They say, where's the pineapple? There are some of you that are very discouraged because you're wondering where the pineapple of progress in your children's lives are. I'm telling you this. When you align your imperfect parenting with God's perfect word, something is going to happen because a day is going to come when he's going to flip it and the word of God will not return void. I love it when bosses sneak the word of God into their meetings. And someone was in a meeting recently. They said, wait a minute. I realized my boss has been using Proverbs to lead us all this time. <laughs> Wise, you don't have to tell them, by the way, this is Proverbs chapter 18. Just give them the word. It works. One of the best things a boss can do is to, the, the same word that tells us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. the same book of Proverbs that is wisdom from cover to cover. I'm telling you, bosses, best thing you could do is read, the, tomorrow's the 16th, read Proverbs 16, go into your day with Proverbs. You don't have to tell everybody it's the Bible. You can't do that at a lot of our jobs. I get that. But you can bring God's word and that word works. Don't be harsh. Take them by the hand. Lead them in the word. And this is where it really ends. Number three, lead them in the word. And I take it back to that condemnation verse. Raise up a child in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they won't depart. I've heard so many people in condemnation over this. Like this single mom when I was a youth pastor that said, Pastor Mike, I've just ruined my child's life. I, I haven't raised them up like I should. Number one, it's a proverb. It's not a promise. The Proverbs are Proverbs. Raise up a child in the way they should go. It, it's, the Proverbs are not promises. Here's a promise. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Here's a promise. If you call to me, I will answer you. Here's a promise. The, the, the promises are going to be along these lines of the, the, there's a peace of God which passes all understanding and it will guard your hearts and mind. Those are promises. The Proverbs tell you how things work. Number one, it's a proverb. But number two, you got to read it right. So Proverbs 22, it says, raise up a child. And this word raise up, it often gets translated dedicate. Dedicate a child to the Lord. I can't perfectly raise my child. I'll tell you what I can do. God, I dedicate my child to you. Raise up a job. Raise up a department. Raise up a team. Watch. I can't perfectly do that. I can consecrate it to the Lord. I can dedicate it to the Lord. I, I, can, I can dedicate. Even if you're in a job that has nothing to do with anything of faith, you can, the best thing you can do to your employees that might not even believe in God is to, even before the day began, say, God, make me a blessing to my, let me be the best boss they can be, the greatest supervisor that they can have. And you commit your day to the Lord. You commit your works to the Lord. And the Bible says your thoughts will be established. Raise up a, it's, it's raise up a child. Dedicate your child. Brandon and Chelsea just adopted this past week. Two precious children. That's a daddy right there. Brandon, I'm so incredibly proud of you guys and love you guys so much. So proud of the man of God and woman of God that you guys are in raising these two kids that you've now adopted. Here's what... Here's, here's the catch. Consecrate them to the Lord. And I know you are. Dedicate, watch. Raise up a child. Dedicate your child in the way, that, the way that they should go. 
And here's the interesting thing. This word way, it's, it's a Hebrew word. It comes from a, 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 the root word is this Hebrew word. It's like derek. It's, it's a Hebrew word that most often gets translated as the verb to bend or this idea of having been bent. It's, it's a bent. Raise up, dedicate, raise up a child in the way, in the bent and some, even, some translations would even say something like, in their way, in the bent. Like, in other words, every child has a certain bent to them. Some children are prone toward being very nervous. Some children are prone toward being big risk takers. Some children are prone toward kind of shading the truth. Some children are prone to being people pleasers. Some children are prone to, they don't care what anybody thinks. Some children are prone to, to just be, you know, that, like, they love life. And they're just like all this kind of stuff that they have. Children are prone. Some are shy. Some are stubborn. Some are dependent. Some are independent. All the, raise up a child according to their bent. What parts of God's word does your child need? It depends on their bent. Parents, study your kids. Supervisors, study your employees. Coaches, study your athletes. What's their bent? What's their constitution? Some metals can bend a lot. Some metals are brittle. Some people are very, very bendable. Some people are not. There's not, that's not right or wrong. It's how God made people. It's the way he wired them. The greatest leaders, they don't just read, you know, desperateleader.com principles and give them to their employees. They go and they study the fingerprints of God's image on people's lives and they custom make that, that parenting, they custom make that leadership for that child, for that athlete, for that employee. Don't be harsh. Take them by the hand. And lead them to the word. But at the end of the day, I love how this, and this is where I end it, where the Passion Translation says, don't exasperate them, but raise them up in the loving discipline and counsel that brings the revelation of our Lord. My goal is not that our church becomes full of really well-behaved religious people. My, my goal with my kids is not that my kids are going to be really well-behaved, perfect behavior children. And trust me, there's pressure. I've got eight kids. We go around Gainesville. They, my kids are very aware of the pressure. You shouldn't be acting like that. You're a pastor's kid. You, please don't do that to my kids. But my goal is not that my kids will be well-behaved. My goal is that my children will love Jesus. Because when you love Jesus... When you look in his eyes, you see the reflection of a world that he loves. You can't love people right until you first love God right. You, it, it has to be like that. When, when you try to love people the right way without going to God, your, your love always gets warped. Which is why my goal is not that my kid's behavior will get cleaned up. Because if your kid is locking themselves in a room, there's something going on in a heart that does that. If your kid lies about certain things consistently, you could tell your kid, stop lying, boy. I'm going to punish you. But the, the pro, you, you, well, If you lie all the time, no one's going to like you. See, the problem is if you don't realize your child's problem is not fundamentally behavior, your problem, the problem with our children is the same problem with us. It's a worship problem. It's a love problem. That we love something more than we love God and we love people. 
And when we lock ourselves in a room or when we lie about something or that when we steal something, there's, there's something that we're trying to get. I remember when my daughter Samara was like probably 10 or 11. It was the first time she, I was on my bed and she came and she sat down on my bed and, and she was crying. And she's like, Daddy, I, I think Jesus was talking to me. And she's crying. It's like, I think I heard Jesus. And she said something to me that I'm like, I've told you that so many times. How did you not listen all these times I said that? But it was clear. It wasn't just daddy saying it to her brain. God was writing it on her heart. The goal is not that kids get their behavior cleaned up. The goal is if your child's cussing and you're like, oh boy, we don't say that word around here. Okay, great. Frick, frack, fudge. See, what, what, what Jesus says is the problem is not what four-letter words you're saying. The problem is what's going on in a heart that says four-letter words. So if you change the four-letter words, but you never touch the heart, that's why God's dream, he said, was not to get his laws on our outside, but to write his laws on our inside. To write them in there. And you and me don't have the power to write them in there. Only he can do it. And you can't just punish that into somebody. It's got to get inscribed by the hand of God himself. I love the story coming out of the Vietnam War when a team, a company of soldiers, they had a guy that was in their company that was just really slow. He was much slower than the rest of him, rest of them, and they'd always make fun. And at one point, they decided to play a joke. They were in their barrack, and someone took a, a grenade that was done, and they threw the grenade into the middle of the room, and they wanted to see what he would do. And, and, and sure enough, when the grenade got thrown in there, the man, the slowest man, he jumped into the middle of the room, took the grenade into his stomach, and said, everybody, fast, run, leave, get out of here. And everybody looked around and realized the man they were mocking was the man who, when push came to shove, would lay down his life. Their behavior would never be the same because they realized that the one they had mocked was the one that loved them. Children and grown-ups don't get changed just by me telling you, hey guys, we better clean up or else something bad could happen. And it's all true. But it's when you look on a cross where you realize that Jesus took the ultimate grenade. He took the ultimate wrath of our sin and our shame. He died for us. He took the grenade that we deserve so that we could get the blessing that he deserves. And I don't know how he does it. But when you see that in faith, I'm telling you, it changes you. And the same people you hated before, you, you can't keep on hating them because you're looking in the eyes of the one that loves his enemies. That, that when you were, you were living in that, that place of unforgiveness or bitterness or, or fear or whatever that was, that when you're looking in his eyes, the one who says, I'm never leaving you. I'm never forsaking you. I never gave up on you. You stop giving up on others because he never gave up on you. But you can't be guilt-tripped into it. He's got to write that on your heart. And that's what he did in many of our lives when we saw in faith what he did for us on that cross. And then he did die, but he rose from the dead. And when you trust him, he rises you up too. He raises you up as well. And I commission you today to go and to love this world through his eyes. Love your children. Love your employees. Love your athletes. <laughs> love your neighbors as we go and we steward power differently than the way this world does it. Because the best way to parent is to parent like God. Thanks again for tuning in. 
If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to click the like button so that more people can find our other content. You can also post a comment about your favorite part of the message, ask questions, or engage with people as we learn God's word together. Another way to connect to us is by subscribing to our YouTube channel. Thanks again. I hope your week is wonderful. Live green.